This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, slash register. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, May 21st. Earlier this week, the Ford Motor Company unveiled the F-150 Lightning, an all-electric version of what has been the best-selling vehicle in the United States for decades. The unveiling comes at a time when there is a lot of conversation in Washington about public policy and government investment in infrastructure, climate change, jobs in advanced manufacturing, supply chain resiliency, and, of course, clean energy, which specifically includes EVs. And Smart, Vice President of Public Policy for ChargePoint, believes the number of EVs automakers have recently announced, coupled with electrified transportation becoming a topic of mainstream conversation, is evidence that the tipping point to electric vehicles is here. Right now. As further evidence, she points to an increase in state and local government efforts to support and establish business models that will allow consumers to conveniently charge. Smart likes seeing EV charging front and center in the plans the Biden administration is proposing, particularly so because the proposed policies address both short and long-term issues that are all naturally linked. For example, economic stimulus that helps create jobs and drive economic growth coming out of the pandemic, while also enabling more manufacturing in the United States and creating the smart roads and bridges and electric grid needed to power a growing fleet of electric vehicles in the U.S. What needs to happen to make the public policy and government investments being recommended by the Biden administration a reality? How important is a national electrification strategy to the future growth of EVs in the U.S.? We've reached Ann Smart, Vice President of Public Policy for ChargePoint in Portland, Oregon. Ann, thanks so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Steve? I'm wonderful. Certainly an exciting topic today, an important topic, particularly as we continue to hear about advancements in vehicle electrification and the conversations that are going on in Washington relative to climate, relative to infrastructure investments. Why don't we start with your assessment of vehicle electrification? Why now and what's different with companies and consumers? When are we going to see this tipping point to EVs in the U.S.? Great question. I think first and foremost, I, the tipping points here now, I think the fact that I'm on uh, your show today talking about transportation, electrification, you know, indicates this is a, a mainstream topic that um, everyone is interested in learning more about. But we've also been spending more than a decade developing the EV market, the charging market, passing policies, the state and local levels to support that and establishing business models like charge points to enable drivers to have charging everywhere they need to charge, whether that's at home or at work or around town or out on that theoretical road trip. And I think when we're thinking about what's happening now in the marketplace, there have been so many exciting announcements from automakers about new models of electric vehicles, um, more options for drivers so that we're now getting to a place where a driver thinks about the type of vehicle they want, and then there's an electric model of it. Uh, the announcements or the unveiling this week of the Ford F-150 electric was really exciting. I think that having an option for drivers that wanted a truck, and now there's an electric one, um, a particularly popular one as well, 
will help to enable more drivers to to feel confident in considering electrification. And that's really what we want to see in terms of, of that tipping point. Drivers having options to get the vehicle that they want at their own local dealership or local store and having uh, the ability to choose the vehicle that meets their lifestyle rather than adapting their lifestyle to their car. One particular area where OEMs really have not had a lot of control. Certainly, there are examples of partnerships between OEMs and companies like ChargePoint. But one of these areas that I think is particularly germane to where ChargePoint sits in this business ecosystem, along with those conversations that we're having around investment in infrastructure. When you look at the EV charging infrastructure today in the U.S., how does it compare to other major markets in Europe and Asia? Yeah, I think the U.S. started um, developing a market for charging and and for vehicles a little different than Europe and Asia. In, In Europe and Asia, there is significantly more government-owned infrastructure. Um, it's it's front and center in, in many towns and cities. Um, and the way that the infrastructure is set up, a driver um, that's looking to charge their vehicle actually brings their own cable with them and then connects to, to that port. In the U.S., the, the market for charging grew out of um, private companies and cities and utilities and, and other entities um, investing in charging infrastructure, mostly with private capital at the beginning of the industry. And even now, the majority of charging has been funded with private investment. And those charging stations enable drivers to charge in in more places. So charging occurs when you're shopping at your grocery store or when you're eating at your restaurant downtown or charging occurs at your workplace um, or at night at your apartment complex. And in each of those locations, there's a a different operator of a charging station, a different business model and investment strategy that has enabled that to be a a fueling opportunity. And that has really evolved differently in the U.S. than than we'd seen to date in in Europe and Asia. I think in in all cases, we've seen um, the the charging deployment uh, keep pace with vehicle adoption. Europe and Asia had significant um, investments in vehicles and options available for drivers. The U.S. has has grown, and now we're we're at a place where that is is similar in terms of of vehicle availability. But that also means that the charging um, has grown as EV adoption has grown in the U.S. And so, you know, where we are now versus ten years ago is is definitely different um, than Europe and Asia. And I think I, now we're seeing really a global market and a global market in terms of both vehicle adoption and options on the light duty vehicle side, as well as the medium and heavy duty bus and truck space, and a global market for charging. ChargePoint operates um, in the US and several countries, including Europe, um, countries in Europe. And I think that more and more charging networks, um, infrastructure providers, rules and policies and regulations globally are being considered at that scale. And that's really showing that Europe, Asia, and the U.S. have have reached a similar uh, tipping point, as you said, for electrification. Lots of conversation going on right now in D.C. with policymakers around proposed investments in infrastructure, clean energy, climate change, more manufacturing in the U.S. for electric vehicles, even semiconductors. These things are being, these proposals are being wrapped around as investments in infrastructure, supply chain resiliency, jobs acts, 
they're all naturally linked in in some way, shape, form, or another. When you look at these proposed plans for investments in these things, what's your assessment of what the administration is is pitching and is recommending? Well, on President Biden's first day in office, uh, he re-signed onto the Paris Climate uh, Accords, which agreeing to take significant global climate action on day one really shows that President Biden and his administration's focus on that policy. I think that from a um, a congressional perspective, we are seeing the guidance from the president in terms of the American Jobs Plan or the infrastructure package or infrastructure bill um, being considered more and more now. My assessment of the administration's proposed investments are that the administration is looking for ways to create economic stimulus, recover from the pandemic, and enable more jobs to come out of investments that also at the same time are helpful for addressing climate change and creating a more resilient um, grid and energy structure. And so when you look at the American jobs plan that President Biden proposed, it's really broken down into um, how do we create more infrastructure itself? How do we enable both drivers to have access to charging as well as outside of electrification? What do we do about roads and bridges and electricity on the utility side? But then it also gets into things like um, it also gets into job creation um, what types of jobs we need, how do we enable more manufacturing in the U.S., how do we ensure that the products and services that are involved um, and invested in are all helping towards that ultimate goal of recovery and growth of our economy. And we were very pleased to see EV charging front and center in the American Jobs Plan. The president proposes investing um, in 500,000 chargers and uh, a host of policies to do that from investing in a grant program likely related to rural or highway charging uh, to be administered by the Department of Transportation. There is a discussion on providing rebates for workplace and multifamily charging through the Department of Energy. And then there's also discussion about electrifying buses. How do we enable school buses in particular to get towards a goal eventually of 100% electrification? And then a host of tax credits and other proposals. Um, on the vehicle side, it's also exciting to see the proposal include an on-the-hood incentive for the vehicles, so beyond the existing tax credit that's in place. And that's really exciting because it could enable more drivers to have the ability to afford and um, purchase an electric vehicle up front, uh, reducing the cost on the hood rather than buying or leasing the vehicle and then needing to wait till your tax year to get the potential benefit from it should broaden the uh, access to electric vehicles to more income levels. And I think that's really exciting to see both an investment in EVs as well as infrastructure in the same jobs plan. What's interesting to me is doing my homework for our conversation that we're having today. Almost a year ago, you penned a blog that outlined 11 points that should be included in any government package related to charging infrastructure. I'm curious, do you see all of those points addressed in the Biden plan? 
anything missing and anything you would like to see that's not in there or anything else you would like to see in the proposed plan? Yes, so the blog post that I made was proposing actions that could occur at all levels of government and also within utility commissions, cities, state governments, and federal action. And so some of these pieces are outlined in the American Jobs Plan um, proposed by President Biden. Others will likely be triggered by having a national policy related to transportation electrification for the first time. So some pieces, for example, in the president's plan include investing in uh, highway charging. So we expect to see the Department of Transportation have a grant program which would enable the build out of more fast chargers along highways and in rural areas. We also expect that more multifamily charging will be invested in and having access to home charging is, is really critical to enable drivers to adopt an EV. But in addition to these federal grants and incentives that will come out of the American Jobs Act, one of the things that it's important to consider is what will states do in response to that to make sure that their markets are developed and ready to support an influx of, of federal funding and the, the match of, of private capital that will come with these grants and incentive programs. Many states have already done this. Uh, the, the market itself for charging has, has been around for more than a decade. And as you can imagine, there have been many policies and regulations and utility investments um, and state and local grant programs that have been tried and tested over the past decade successfully. And we've also seen private capital invested all across the country to enable more chargers to be built out. But we can expect with the American Jobs Plan moving forward that we'll see states consider what sort of barriers they need to address to enabling the rapid deployment of charging stations. For example, uh, one of the things that we talk about in my blog post is how do we enable uh, tenants of multifamily apartments or condos to have the ability to install a charger if they want to do so. Uh, one of the pieces of policies passed um, last month was in the state of Florida, actually passed um, some state policy, which we call right to charge, which enables a, a person living in a condo to install a charging station at that condo um, with written approval from the condo owner. And it creates a framework so that that policy can enable that condo um, driver to, to move forward with installing it without being told just no. Um, this right to charge policy is something that we have worked uh, closely on in a number of other states around the U.S. And we'd expect that as a federal policy for investing in, in multifamily charging moves forward, that more states will consider policies like that to help reduce some of the barriers for tenants and condo owners to consider that investment. Well, it creates that more access that you that you describe, but in some respects, it also builds consumer confidence. I don't want to say trust because I don't think trust is the right word when it comes to electrification when you compare it to trust in some technologies like autonomy. This is more around a reliability. Is this going to serve my needs? And what you're describing through this right to charge policy gives more access, 
provides more opportunity for consumers to experience electrification. And that certainly has downstream effects in terms of adoption and how much we see this technology deployed in the U.S. Would you agree? I would agree. And I think it also gets back to that tipping point comment earlier. We want to make sure that uh, someone that's trying to get an electric vehicle for the first time is, is making that decision without having significant changes with where they live or how they drive and enabling a, a, someone that is a, a tenant in an apartment complex um, to have the same opportunities to fuel at home as well as around town is really critical um, to ensuring that every type of driver has access to electrification. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem, loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds & Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash register. So all of these things are linked, right? You need investment in infrastructure so electric vehicles can operate efficiently. That then translates into jobs, not only in terms of building infrastructure, but even on the vehicle repair, maintenance, those techni- those those technical skills, which requires then investment education, whether it's four-year degree, whether it's trade schools. All of these things are linked. I'm curious, does all of this stuff have to happen, or are we a bit hampered if only a portion of what the administration is recommending and advocating and pushing actually makes its way to legislation. I think that it's important that the investment in both the vehicles themselves in terms of of manufacturing and and creating opportunities for more um, uh, electric vehicle models and options for drivers, as well as the on the hood incentives that are going to be available out of the American Jobs Plan are equally as important and um, really need to go hand in hand with a a national EV charging infrastructure plan. I think that when we're considering, again, um, how do we enable more drivers to have access to charging, we also need to consider how do we enable more drivers of access to the vehicles. Um, You can't just build the chargers and expect that that's, that's the full part of the equation. I believe that there is also an important aspect of the American Jobs Plan related to how do we enable a workforce that's ready to invest um, time and and jobs and careers into installing charging infrastructure and other types of infrastructure. 
How do we enable um, more jobs related to maintaining charging infrastructure? And those are local on the ground jobs that can occur all across the US as we roll out this you know, national strategy. Uh, we were really excited to see the American Jobs Plan also include investment in research and development to help make sure that we're continuing to innovate in terms of charging infrastructure and also create room for more research and development around um, fleet electrification, bus, truck, off-road equipment, all of these additional opportunities that are increasingly becoming available um, as we invest more in that space. So I do think that the aspects of the American Jobs Plan related to transportation electrification should go hand in hand. But I also want to caveat that Congress has um, many different avenues they could could take to pass pieces of legislation. It may not all look like one giant funding package. We might see um, some legislation pass on its own. We may see some of it all passed in one giant bill. And a lot of this will come down to, to politics and discussions that have been ongoing for, for a few months now. So uh, I do think it's important to consider the, the full ecosystem and the need to invest in, in more jobs and research um, and more vehicle choices. But we should also consider that uh, there could be many aspects of legislation, and this won't be the, the last EV charging um, policy that we see happen over the next few years federally. If you're a business leader, business executive, one of the things when it comes to this area that I think in, in the business executives that I've spoken to over the years is this challenge of uncertainty that says policymakers are giving me, our industry, whatever it might be, a target 10 to 15 years out. And we're going to push towards that target. That uncertainty comes in when there's a change in leadership as a result of elections. Those, those forecasts may change, et cetera. We've seen it time and time again. When it comes to this topic of a national electrification and national infrastructure strategy, how important is it for these policies to be stable and for funding incentives to be protected regardless of election cycles? I think we're past the tipping point where this is a global market. And so we have seen the growth of the industry uh, in the absence of a national U.S. <laughs> electrification plan for, for the last four years. And we expect to see that momentum continue I think that what the national plan from President Biden will enable is an accelerated rollout of charging infrastructure. It's not going to slow down without it, but can we get there faster with a national plan that helps enable more drivers to have access to the vehicles, to enable more drivers to have options for charging, and to bring investment into parts of the country that maybe haven't had access to a state or local incentive program or may not have seen as much private capital invested as other parts of the country. So will I say that that the national strategy is the only way we'll see the market move forward? Absolutely not. I think we're well past that tipping point and we're pleased to see the momentum that we have, have seen to date. But a national plan will help create more accelerated build out of charging infrastructure. And that's why we're, we're so excited to see um, charging as a part of the president's plan. So let's turn the lens a little bit and let's talk about implications for not having a national strategy. 
economically. How about through the lens of national security? We've certainly seen headlines over the last two weeks related to the hacking of the colonial pipeline. What happens if we don't formulate, move forward, pass legislation, fund this national electrification, this national uh, infrastructure investment strategy? I think that it's really important to point out that in the American Jobs Plan, there is significant investment outside of EV charging in grid reliability. And since the electrical grid is, is the backbone for this new fueling network, it's really critical that we see the federal government invest and work closely with our electric utilities and state public utility commissions around the country to ensure that our, our grid is, is secure and safe and uh, enabling uh, and supporting the amount of transportation electrification that we're going to see over the next uh, decade. And so we we believe that that part of the plan is critical to moving forward and um, are excited to see more discussions um, occurring in places like FERC um, and the, the regional ISOs related to how do we support the, the load that is coming from transportation electrification and how do we enable it to occur when it's going to be beneficial to the grid, enable more ratepayers, even those that may not immediately drive a, an EV to have the benefits of electrification on the grid? And more broadly, how do we make sure that um, across the board we're seeing um, a, a grid that's safe and secure for driver data, for home charging, for all of those things? And I think the states and the utilities have done a great job to date, but it's exciting to see the president focus so, so much of the infrastructure plan on this topic as well. So bipartisanship or lack thereof in D.C. aside, which I think is the biggest hurdle. Uh, I don't know if you would agree or not, but I, you know, I think a lot of folks would add that as near the top of the list of one of the most significant hurdles to overcome in passing just that le this legislation. That to the side, what are some of the other challenges that you see in terms of making what the administration is proposing a reality? I think that the the challenge and opportunity lies in Congress. The president's plan includes uh, significant investments um, across the board and we expect that members of Congress will have um, varying opinions about what the details look like. There have been some um, pieces of legislation that tie well into the American Jobs Plan that have been discussed and amended and worked through for the past few years, waiting for this key moment in time to finally see the, the infrastructure um, package move forward. Um, for example, um, Senator Carper has legislation for a Clean Corridors Act, which outlines a grant program for highway fast charging um, through the Department of Transportation. That bill and the details of it have been worked out for, for several years, years now, and it's exciting to see this as the potential opportunity to bring it forward. But Congress is the key piece of all of this. How do we define the details in legislation, in writing, and how do we create a package that has the votes to move forward? And let's close with a look ahead. What are you watching over the next six to 12 months? And a little more longer term, what are you watching? What excites you most over the next three to five years? 
Over the next few months, I am looking closely at how states are uh, addressing their state budgets post-pandemic, enabling some of the same conversations that we are having at the the presidential level related to um, jobs and recovery and reinvestment. We're seeing those discussions in many state governments as well. I also think that we'll continue to see some key pieces of legislation um, move forward at state levels related to um, electricity rates uh, that utilities could be setting to help reduce some of the operational costs of a charging station related to demand charges. Um, Not to wonk out too much, but I think there's a a significant opportunity still um, that we expect over the next few months to see legislation move forward that will support and create the the markets that are developing now that'll be ready to support an influx of federal funding once that comes out of the national government. I think that the other side of this is just looking ahead at the next few years. Fleet electrification is a huge opportunity. And we're going from just electrifying passenger vehicles to now having electric school buses, electric municipal buses, electric delivery trucks. We've seen announcements about the semi-trucks, your class seven and eight trucks being electrified. Those coming soon. There's off-road equipment, there's agricultural equipment, electric tractors, and port electrification, and so much that can move towards electric as a fuel. And that is a huge opportunity, both in terms of enabling more people to have access to the benefits of transportation electrification, whether that's an actual rider or driver or someone whose community is going to see cleaner air as a result of removing some of the the less clean fuels from from our highways. But it also creates a, a policy challenge and opportunity in terms of supporting, you know, a lot more power that's going to be needed to support all of these truck depots and um, charging opportunities along highways and in our communities to support these many different types of medium and heavy duty electrification. I think over the next you know, three to five years, that's the key space to keep an eye on and a great opportunity to make sure that we're creating an, an equitable future around transportation electrification. And terrific perspectives. Thank you for joining me on the show. This notion, the importance of public policy relative to America's leadership in electrification and electric vehicles, certainly an important topic. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us on the show today and sharing your perspectives. Thanks for having me, Steve. Really appreciate it. That's Daily Drive for Friday, May 21st. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. Make it a great weekend, everyone. We'll be back on Monday.